CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us. We always are. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour as we get together to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at current topics from a biblical perspective, and also what we hear in churches, and even in the Bible at all. And you're finding more and more much of the stuff that's being taught isn't in the Bible or completely omitted and left out of the church's teachings. And so we would just want to encourage you to give us a call. And if you've been reading your Bible on your own, come across something you don't understand, hey, give us a call. We'll do our very best to give you what the Bible really says about that topic. Joining me today, special guest, featured CSN speaker that comes on after To Every Man and Answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi and welcome. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you and uh, be on with you at Every Man and Answer, as always. Looking forward to a great show. Already got some calls coming in. I know it's going to be a, a good one. Going to answer a lot of questions uh, with God's help and clear out some cobwebs, uh, maybe some confusion, and get people better established in the Word of God. Because, wow, talk about needing to stand on the Word of God. We're there. I mean, we need the promises. We need our faith built. We need a full understanding of scripture because these are the days that Paul warned about perilous times, meaning dangerous, highly stressful, um, all of the above. And we're living in them. And, uh, we've got all kinds of violence around us. And, um, really, if I, if I didn't know the Lord, I don't know, but I'd be one of these people, uh, storing up a bunch of food and, and, uh, weaponry and headed for the hills. Uh, for survival. Um, when you just look at what's going on with rational thought, logical deduction, you look at it, you say, how can this country go on like this? It, it no, really, it's a, it's a, it's it a banana republic right now because again, uh, we talked about this yesterday and I don't want to belabor the point, but, uh, the uh, Democrats, of course, with Democrat judges declared Joe Biden to be mentally incapable of standing trial for his crimes of having top secret documents, uh, but still mentally capable of being the president and running again for president. You know, and as I mentioned yesterday, why is an NBC, CBS, MSNBC talking about this? This is big news when you've been declared mentally uh, incapable of standing trial because you're, you're not, you, you don't think right. And yet you're the president and you can run for another term. This is Banana Republic, friends. This is what a Banana Republic is. It's who's ever in charge. Well, now we're going to eliminate who's ever against us. And um, it's no different than it was with Joseph Stalin when he took over, mur murdering some 20 million fellow Russians. You know, people always cite Adolf Hitler of killing uh, 6 million Jews. Yeah, it was terrible. It was an atrocity of history. But when you stop to think, Stalin murdered his own. Now, that's really weird. You don't hear him mentioned in the uh, books. Yet in the state of Washington, they have a monument to Joseph Stalin. Oh, my goodness. They took down, you know, Christopher Columbus, but they put up Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin was a murdering thug, as was Mao Zedong, murdering 
50 million of his fellow Chinese people uh, to get his communist order. And so, you know, we see this around. This is the way they work. Uh, be wise. Again, I don't know where this is all going to go, Jeff. I don't think anybody really does right now. But I do know that we need to work for the night is coming when no one can work. I believe these are are things that cause us to perk our ears up, to be busy for the kingdom of God. You know, people have often asked, well, you know, is is it all right to sit around and play video games all day or 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 uh uh watch TV all day? I got to tell you, time is short. Man, go lay up for yourself some treasure in heaven. That's what the Bible says to do. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones. The number to call if you want to be part of the program today, 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call. And you can, uh, we got some lines open, so you're sure to get on. If you call right now, let's go to Jerry in Westfield, North Carolina. Hi, welcome. Hey, pastors. How are you this evening? Good. How may we help? Um, I just wanted to call by way of affirmation last night. I was listening on the way home. Uh, you immediately started talking about the literal millennium. And yes. I have taken myself underneath the tutelage of a pastor who is preaching uh, post-millennium, and he's a prima, uh, uh, a partial preterist. Um, also was talking about the fact that Jesus came back as a phantom in 70 AD and destroyed mm-hmm. the temple and oh, that there boy. is not going to be any tribulation. And, you know, that's not what I've read, and that's not how I've studied, and that's how I've been taught for almost 68 years of my life. What's your thought? Jerry, all I can tell you is run with all great speed. Uh, Jesus did not come back as a phantom. Um, Jesus said Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles to the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. This is in Luke 21. When Jesus said that, Jerusalem is under Roman control, then obliterated by a Roman general in 70 AD, and it laid waste for almost two millennia. And now we find that Jerusalem is back under Jewish control, just as Jesus said it would be, and that it would be the capital of Israel. And what we understand here as we read the rest of Luke 21, the generation that sees this will not pass away till all the things of the end times are fulfilled. So uh, the millennial reign of Christ is real. Um, And again, anybody that's wrangling and twisting Scripture this bad— I wouldn't really want to listen too much of anything that they're teaching because they're psychedelicizing God's Word. And I I, I don't believe we need to do that. If you read Revelation 22, what happens to people who add or take away from God's Word, speaking of the book of Revelation, um, and when somebody says, oh, uh, it's already happened, or uh, they're just taking away from God's Word, your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, you you mentioned two two things there, uh, Larry or Jerry. Um, you mentioned two things: the partial preterism and then the thousand year reign of Christ. Uh, the partial preterist, even a partial preterist, not to mention a full blown preterist, has got to ignore all kinds of history and all kinds of things like the Book of Revelation and the twenty one judgments that John had Jesus tell him were going to come on a Christ-rejecting world during the Great Tribulation period. And uh, all you got to do is look at some of those and realize no way that happened in 70 A.D. before or after. Uh, these are things that, uh, when they do take place, will virtually 
take planet Earth to the brink of extinction, and if Jesus did not return, uh, no flesh would be saved. So the partial preterists, the burden of proof is really on them, and especially when they claim it, you know, say, this is what I am, I, this is what I believe, Jesus coming back as a phantom is just pulled out of thin air. That's that's made up out of whole cloth. There's nothing in Scripture to substantiate <laughs> Not that even at the all. predators believe that. No, you know, <laughs> the phantom, phantom Jesus. Because they, they believe, the full-blown preterists believe that uh, this was Christ returning in judgment and br- bringing judgment on J- the Jerusalem that crucified him and the Jewish people that rejected him. But, uh, you know, again, you've got to read all kinds of things into Scripture to come up with that and then make some things up. Like I said, the phantom, that's Jesus, the phantom, that's that's out there. So and the, the thousand year reign of Christ, if you're if you interpret Scripture literally as we should, unless it clearly specifies otherwise, then clearly the book of Revelations tells us that he's going to reign a thousand years over a. Uh, restored earth, a beautified earth, and uh, where all violence is done away with, the devil is bound up, and uh, there's there's peace on earth. You know, the wolf laying down with the lamb, the children playing uh, at, in the at, right in the mouth of the dens of poisonous snakes and not being bitten. In other words, all hostility and uh, all negativity between species, uh, all aggression will be gone. And Christ will reign for a thousand years, and that's that's there. So you have to ignore things like that, and that's why we're advising you to really, really be careful with this. And it feel it sounds like you already have. You're already being cautious with it, or you wouldn't have called. Hope that helps. Thanks for your time, if I may. When when I heard it from the pulpit, um, I was cut to my heart because I am trying to study myself. Uh, to show myself approved, and I'm looking forward to ruling and reigning with Christ in the millennium. And when he said that, it 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 really hurt, and it got me started yeah. on studying some other things that he was talking about. And uh, so, no, I've been out from underneath him for about four months now. And what stirred it all up was uh, Pastor Mike last night speaking about the millennium, and I said, I've got to call. Well, I'm so glad you did, and that's why we're here for you because the millennium is a real time in which Jesus will rule and reign this planet from Jerusalem, Israel, in a perfect world, perfect environment, perfect food, perfect ecosystem, perfect government, perfect everything. And yet, and yet, at the very end, Satan is loose, and as the sand is on the seashore, the Bible says, these people come against Jesus to make war with him after living in a perfect environment. People would say, well, how could they do that? Why would they do that? Jesus said in John 3, Marvel not that I say to you, Nicodemus, who is a religious leader of the day, you must be born again. You see the idea that, well, people are just bad because they're in a bad environment, or they've had somebody frown at them too much when they were a child, or they weren't raised on the right side of the tracks, or whatever. This is why the way they are. No, the Bible says we're the way we are because we're sinners. We need to be born again by the Spirit of God. And when we are born then by the Spirit of God, it changes us. So living in a perfect world for a thousand years still ain't good enough. It just shows you, just as the Bible says, that old sin nature of man must be dealt with, just as he told Nicodemus there in John chapter 3.
Jerry, stay on the line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. And uh, have you found a new fellowship yet? Uh, yes, sir. Actually, uh, we are uh, fellowshipping at a new place. And if I wasn't entertaining dinner tonight, and my son's fiance would be uh, there for a prayer meeting. But um, instead, I get to uh, enjoy a few minutes with you. And gentlemen, thank you so much. I appreciate what you do. Jerry, we're here for you whenever you need to call us. Stay online if you like. Send you out uh, the uh, Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, as well as Time to Grow, a uh, little mm. book that's great for um, a new believer, as well as looking for a church. It's all there, as uh, we also have the movie Jesus and uh, God of Wonders. We'll get those out to you, and great for evangelism. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Albert, San Luis Obispo. Hi, welcome. Hello. Yeah. Uh, well, you kind of might. Well, what I what my question is, um, I understand what goes on in the millennium, the thousand year reign, and all that. But I'm trying to figure out why. I mean, why is the purpose? Because, uh, you know, why can't it just go right and keep being terrible, the the tribulation, and then let the devil do his thing, and then have the war against Jerusalem, you know, and then bring the city down. Why the thousand-year reign, you know, and then after that? Albert, I think that's a great question, and and I think there's a real real answer. You see, man today argues with God to the fact that the reason why man is bad is because, as I said to the last caller, we've had bad things happen to us. Now, if we could just raise people in a proper environment, thus this is what's being sold in communism, socialism, that everybody's equal and uh, there'll be no jealousy. You'll own, in 10 years, you'll own nothing and be happy. All the socialistic, communist, just pure trash that they sell people um, uh, to, to say that really man is good by nature. Well, Jesus, I believe, solves that issue for all of mankind, for all of the angelic host, for everything, forever, throughout all of eternity. Man is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. And so God puts man then in a perfect environment, again, perfect government, perfect food, perfect uh, uh, policing. In other words, we'll rule and reign with him. We'll be fair. There's not going to be anybody taking bribes on the side. To, well, okay, you know, we'll look the other way on your uranium deal. You know, we're, we're not going to do anything like that. Everything's going to be. And yet, in all of that, it shows man's total rejection of Jesus Christ, man's total rejection of all that is good. And I believe this uh, millennial reign is to prove to all of humanity Forever, man is desperately wicked above all things. You must be born again. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, another reason for the millennium, well, I'll give you two, and you can just think about this. Uh, but if you're young earth, if you believe the earth is somewhere around 6,000 years old, based on the chronologies of the Bible, then the millennium would be a, seven, a, a seventh millennium. And in other words, a millennium of rest. So that's that's one possibility. It could be, and I agree with that. By the way, yes, yeah, it could be a millennium of rest, which would be very much according to God's pat- pattern and the way He's always uh, emphasized the Sabbath and a seventh day of rest. So that's one. A second one is I believe it's found in Revelations twenty four, where it says, "I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them." And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. So 
Here's the martyrs. And for the word of God, in which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads. So they successfully went through the tribulation period without giving in to Antichrist or Satan. So then it says, uh, or in their hands, they didn't receive the mark there either. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So it would seem to me another purpose of the millennium is to reward those who faithfully stood during the tribulation period. Uh, it, because that's what's emphasized in verse 4. They're not just going to be with Jesus in the millennium, but they're going to reign with him. And so will all the faithful through uh, the centuries, because Christ said to all of us, if you're faithful over a little, I'm going to make you ruler over much. Well, ruler over what? Well, it has to be pointing to, among other things, the millennium, where Christ will rule the earth out of Jerusalem. So it seems to me that the millennium is also a time of rewarding and a time of supernatural, God-given rest for the saints. Back to you, Mike. I hope that helps. Yeah, that helps a, a whole lot. Can I ask one little thing? Sure. Real, real quick. Okay. No, that helps a whole lot. That clarifies from both both of you guys. Well, well, you ha- uh, and you have to remember, this is a big debate. What we're talking about here, this this thing, that man is naturally good. You, you, you go to any of your colleges across America and the world today, man is good. He's just had bad things happen to him, and then, then it turns turns him bad. That isn't what the Bible says. But when we sin, doesn't make us sinners. Sinning proves what we are. And, and this has to be solved, because either God is right, and that man did inherit an old sin nature from Adam, or the Bible is wrong, all men are born good, and then they just make bad choices. The Bible says we were born sinners. And sinning proves what we are, and we need to be born again. And therefore, it justifies, and get this, this is part of it, it justifies then God allowing people or them sending themselves to hell for eternal separation. See, somebody's right here and somebody's wrong. If man is good, he doesn't need a Savior. If man is bad, he does need a Savior. How would would a good God send potentially good people that had bad things happen to them to hell. Well, that wouldn't be a good God then, would it? But on the other hand, if man inherits an old sin nature and must be born again, and then he starts living right, now God is justified because you reject Jesus Christ as Lord, the one who would forgive your sins. You've made your decision to remain in that wicked condition and therefore reap an eternal uh, punishment. Go ahead, Albert. What was your question? It might also, Mike, I know what you're pointing out, but you're pointing out the rebellion at the end of the millennium where so many that are on the planet at the end of that thousand years rebel again against Christ, and that's what you're pointing out. It's not that the millennium is going to be infested with you know, terrible sinners, but over time, children have children and then more children, and they're still born with that nature that needs to be born again. And so at the very end of the millennium, there is that massive rebellion against Christ when Satan is let out of his pit, out of the abyss, to bring about one more rebellion. So that's that's what um, he's exactly. addressing there, Albert. Yeah, I hope that was clear, but thank you, Jeff, for clarifying that. Albert, what was your other part? Well, it's it's well. I don't want to take too much time, but uh, so I'm, I want to. Okay, I know that um, 
God appoints, you know, the rulers and this and that. And I know, and um, I'm not really like a Trump. I mean, I like Trump. I think he was a good president. Okay. But uh, I'm a Republican, you know, all the way. And so my, my kind of a comment question is that um, what do you guys think? It doesn't seem like, it seems like uh, it's just going to get worse. I don't think, I don't see the Republicans winning. And I think that it'll keep going what's going on because there's, I mean, there's really no constitution. There's, like you said, there's, there's, uh, the judges are all corrupt. Uh, you know, uh, well, not and, all I the mean, judges are, not all not the judges, all of them. But, yes. but, but not the all ones of them. that we've seen yeah. lately in the, in the headlines, yes, they're corrupt. Uh, this thing where right. they, and, they got Trump for three, uh, $300 million or whatever, uh, there yeah. wasn't even a plaintiff to pay it to. This was right. just a, and, a woman with a vendetta who swore uh-huh. a vendetta before she ever got into office. This woman should have not only been recruited from being any part of this, but now I believe civilly Trump should go after her because this is judge. this is kangaroo court here. Yeah. Um, this law that they, so to speak, got Trump on has never been used this way in the history of New York, nor in any other state in the United States. The millions of dollars they're getting from Trump, do you know the problem? There's no plaintiff. There was no one suing Trump. The banks don't want the money. They And, and they're saying, well, you lied to the banks. The banks never filed a complaint. The, the state doesn't have a right to the money because um, it's not their money. There's no plaintiff. There's no one to really pay the the three hundred uh, $300 million to other than the state just saying, it's ours. It's ours. We're taking it the way a communist state always does. Do you know, everybody, I don't know if you know this, but California, $68 billion, with a B, billion dollars in debt right now. See, communist societies don't work. And when you just vote for me, everything is free. Well, so where's California going to get this $68 billion? Probably from some funny money grant like uh, Inflation Reduction Act or uh, the, 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 the cow jumped over the moon act or something they'll pass and then they'll, they'll pigeonhole them some money. Meanwhile, people in Idaho and Wyoming and Montana and Texas and uh, all the other places have to pay their taxes to pay for California's folly roll and fiddly D. That's unconstitutional, too. But, hey, where's the American news media when you need them? Oh, no, they'll never talk about that. Albert, I hope that helps. And, again, um, yeah, uh, I, I think we're we're in really interesting times. And, and bar the rapture, I, I don't see, honestly, everybody, a very good outcome to all of this. Uh, because the polls all show Biden so far behind, and you know they're even lying in the polls to get his numbers up that high. Uh, and then when he wins in a landslide, like they'll do because of the cheating, everybody needs to watch 2,000 Mules. This video, this movie that was made on how they do it, they actually have the footage of these voting places where you drop your ballot in, you know, after hours, of course, where you drop your ballot in, and then they show a car drive up with a gunny sack full of ballots, and the guy is stuffing him in there, all on videotape, friends. This is a rigged election. Everything they said about the last election was true. Uh, 
We even proved it here at CSN where people were getting nine ballots in their mailbox, mail-in ballots where only three people lived. Yeah, we proved it. How many times <clears throat> you got to cheat an election to have a cheated election just once? Hey, these guys are peddled to the metal, and we all know it. 2,000 mules, everybody needs to watch it because this will inform you how they're cheating. So important. Albert, stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. And again, um, I just can't wait for heaven. I think it's going to be great. My tears, though, are for the people left behind. And uh, so this is why every day is precious to tell people about our king. Albert, I hope that helps. Stay online. We'll get you taken care of. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Taylor. Astoria, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hey, Mike. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hey. Uh, my question. My question is um, from Adam to the flood. It was sixteen hundred and fifty-six years, and then from the flood to Sodom and Gomorrah, it was three hundred ninety-one. What good did the flood do? You know, what did it accomplish? Doesn't seem like much. Mankind didn't take mankind long to sour. So, what good does a what good did the flood do? Well, I think what you find in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah was global. I think it was everywhere. And uh, the issue with Sodom and Gomorrah, it was localized to a particular, you might say, city slash county, if you will. Um, but God, of course, knowing that it would spread, I believe this is why he brought that judgment on on Sodom and Gomorrah. But if when we read before the flood what the world was like, Again, the Bible says the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, the the flood, you know, we have to remember God's a holy God. And he talks about in Scripture, um, we we find God telling uh, Moses and others uh, that there is a limit to which he can bear with sin. In other words, uh, when he was talking to Abraham, he said, Abraham, your people are going to go off into Egypt, they're going to be there for 400 years. And then he tells him why they're going to be there 400 years. Because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. And that shows us that there is a, a line in the sand, a, a, a mark in, on the ground or a mark in God's mind and, uh, and heart where he can no longer endure sin uh, reaching a certain level on earth. And he will bring judgment. It, uh, you're, you're, the iniquity comes to the full. The cup of iniquity becomes full and running over. And a holy God must judge it. And we'll get back with you, Taylor. Hang on. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll deal with this more as we take a break right now. Mike? Yeah, Jeff, you know, I think it's so important. And so uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, Jeff, you can fill us in some more on why does God judge the world. Have more coming up right after this. We'll be right back. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. And maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. 
Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. See what you can save. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. This is a sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn, who helped this mother of triplets choose life. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as five weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. Preborn is the country's largest provider of free ultrasounds for moms in crisis. Preborn pregnancy clinics share the heartbeats of those in the greatest need, preborn babies. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to part two of Terry Man and Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And uh, when we went to the break, we were speaking with Taylor in Astoria, Oregon. And by the way, I've been to Astoria. It's a very, very beautiful little town there. I've, uh, I went all the way to the top of the tower and threw a little wooden airplane off. Yes, I did that, Taylor. There you so, go. Uh, anyway, uh, Jeff, you were saying concerning what did yeah. the flood accomplish? Yeah, Taylor, one, God is a holy God. And like I said before the break, there is a line in the sand with God where iniquity reaches to the full. The scripture talks about the cup of iniquity overflowing. That's what's going to happen in the great tribulation. Uh, God is going to pour out his wrath with 21 different judgments because the cup of iniquity will have filled up and overflowed regarding the citizens of planet Earth, and God will bring judgment. But in in Noah's time, it was bad. The Bible says, God said, my spirit won't always strive with man. Uh, he said, uh, the, the, he said uh, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And think about this. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not one time for one microsecond, with one human being on earth saving Noah, did a man or a woman think a righteous thought? Not It says it was every imagination, everything they imagined and fantasized about was wicked continually. And then God says violence filled the earth because of man. So earth became insufferable. And so God judged it. And uh, saved Noah and his family because through Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the earth was repopulated. But through Shem came the righteous lineage of Christ. So God judged it because he's a holy God. You know, why did he do it to Sodom and Gomorrah and the plains that were around them? Uh, why? 
Well, because the the cup of iniquity reached the full. Uh, the angel said to Abraham, I'm going to go down and see if what has if the cry that has come up to the ears of God is true. Because Sodom and Gomorrah, had the cup of iniquity was overflowing and God could no longer endure it. You see this with his judgments all throughout history. And we're no different now. The cup of iniquity, believe me, is filling up quickly, not only for America, but uh, the nations of the world, the Christ-rejecting nations of the world, which is all of them. And God is going to bring judgment again. So I believe that's more than likely the primary reason God did it. But he didn't make an end. Like I said, He Noah, his wife, and three sons and their wives replenished the earth. And God made the covenant, I'm never going to destroy the earth again with a flood. But he didn't say that about fire. He just said it about a flood. Because he will destroy it again by fire, which is another topic. So I hope that helps, Taylor. I do. I hope it helps, Taylor. Thank you. I got it? Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, I I should explain. People are going, you threw an airplane off the Astoria Tower. Well, (laughs) let me explain real quick. Uh, This is just a dirt road. Uh, They have this tower in Astoria, Oregon, and uh, built years ago, and and either was to look for Japanese aircraft coming in on the coast of Oregon or lighthouse for ships at sea. They're right on the seacoast. But they have a little curio shop there, and for a dollar or something like that, you can get a little wooden airplane like you had when you were a kid, a little balsa wood airplane. And you put it together, and then you go up to the very top, and you look over the side of the tower, and then you take this little six-inch little wood airplane, and you throw it, and it goes cruising all over in the ocean breeze, and the, uh, the you know, and, and it, then it lands usually in the rose bushes or something. But it, it's just something, I don't know, just had to share that. Taylor, thank you cool so much story. for the call. Yeah, and um, stay online. We'll send you out some books and DVDs if you like, and uh, great for evangelists. Let's go okay. to Miriam, Boulder City, Nevada. Hi, and welcome. Hi, pastors. I have a question. It's Solomon and Saul. And Solomon, Saul. I had three S's. <laughs> uh, what, did they die safe? Samson, Solomon, and Saul. Okay. Um, now, it is interesting to me that in the book of Hebrews, we find Samson listed as a champion of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solomon appears at the very end of his life, went back to his relationship with God, Saul, we do not find that. Now, I'm not talking about Saul, who later was renamed Paul. I'm talking about Saul, the first king of Israel. We don't find any um, any turning in him at all. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I've asked, uh, been asked this question before uh, we have here on this show, and it is interesting because they, these men— uh, at some time in their life, point in their life, d- took a detour from God, went sideways, went bad. Uh, Samson certainly did not go out the way God originally intended. And Solomon uh, left the faith. He married so many pagan women that they influenced him and carried him away from the faith. And then, uh, of course, Saul, the the king that started out good and ended up bad, uh, the only thing we have about Saul, since you've already mentioned the first two, Mike, 
is that Samuel, when he appeared uh, there at the uh, place of the witch of Endor, when he appeared to Saul, he said to him, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. So he was predicting that the very next day, Saul and his sons, including precious Jonathan, who was, you know, best buds with David, um, including him, would die in battle. Uh, but Samuel says that they would be with, with him. Now, where was that? Well, that was Hades. That was Abraham's bosom before Christ emptied it out after his resurrection. So it would seem to me that um, if I were a better, and I'm not, but if I were, I would bet that he did, he was, he did die saved, or he did die and went to the good place because Samuel said, you're going to be with me, which would say, which would mean the good part of Hades. Because the bad part of Hades, um, if Samuel had said that's where you're going, then we would know for sure he perished. But apparently, because of the grace of God, um, Whatever the mercies of God, he did not. He ended up where Samuel was, which was Abraham's bosom. So that's my best, my best guess with that. Yeah. Uh, many people believe also, just to add this in there too, when he says, tomorrow you'll be with me, not with me personally, but with me in the place of the dead. Uh, that is what a lot of people look at that because, uh, we remember that Saul, uh, God would no longer talk to him at all. He, got, he broke off all communication with him. And this is why why Saul went to the witch at Endor in the first place was because he wanted uh, advice on this battle that was terrifying him uh, the next day. So he uh, dressed as, as, he took all his kingly robes off and then went. And um, we remember this, this uh, witch most likely uh, was not really successful in what she was ever doing. However, God allowed Samuel, and it says it was Samuel, to come back and say to him, um, tomorrow you'll be with me. And when she saw him, she screamed because evidently this is something that was not normal. Now, somebody calling up seances, this would be normal and you wouldn't find them screaming. But I think when you get a real encounter of the real kind. I think this is what caused the scream. But many Bible scholars believe where he says, you'll be with me, not me personally, because it doesn't say that. He says, you'll be with me, very possibly referencing uh, the place of the dead. So uh, either way, Miriam, we don't know for sure on, on Saul, but I think on, on, um, uh, Samson and on Solomon, I think there's pretty good evidence that they made it. Hope that helps. Thank you very much. It does. God bless you. And stay in line if you like. Send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy sharing with your friends. Gail, Jolette, Wyoming. Hi and welcome. Well, thank you guys. And my um, question is about Jeremiah 49, the judgment of Elam. And I know a lot of prophets, a lot of teachers that are teaching prophecy say this is a latter time. It has to do with Elam is the ancient name for about a third of Western um, Iran. And I don't know if that's true or not, but as I'm looking at these verses down in verse 38, uh, it says, and I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares the Lord. 
I've never heard of a, one of his of his throne being set in Western Iran. And I'm just curious about that. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm not clear on that either. I've never really studied this. Um, so I'm going to be real honest, Gail, and tell you that I'm not super familiar with this this prophecy. Uh, so what I tell people when I get stumped, which is every once in a while I do, uh, I'll look it up. And it just so happens I'm hosting tomorrow night. And I will look it up. And uh, if you can listen tomorrow night, I will give you a solid answer. Uh, so rather than just speculate, let me find out for sure. Maybe you've got uh, something. No, I don't, I, I don't either on this one. I I I, I don't. Um, usually, I the, I I because I, I, I've taught through the Bible so many times, but um, I can't remember on this one because I'm in my other Bible, yeah. and and where my notes are are in my other Bible. Uh, but uh, we'll have to look at this up close yeah. and see what he's saying. Whether he's speaking being. of his presence being there or. Um, whether this is going to be incorporated into the New Jerusalem, because we remember, as we had a caller last week saying, what land did Abraham and his descendants inherit from God? Well, we read on in that place, and it talks about from the river Euphrates, which would absolutely be um, this area that we're speaking of here, to really the Red Sea. Uh, would all be part of 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 Israel, and so it may very well be that the that the throne that is being mentioned here would be part of that new country lines, if you will, during the millennial reign of Christ, where he won't actually have his throne in the town of Elam, let's say, but in that in that area that it's speaking of there, which is now part of Israel. That is probably the only. Solution, I, as I remember, uh, that we could come to. But, you know, Jeff, you might find something of great treasure there. Yeah, but the Elamites were the Persians. And yeah. um, in history, they did act against Israel. And when you acted against Israel in the Old Testament, and take, for example, the Edomites or whomever, uh, God visited that back on you later. Uh, so since the Elamites as the Persians, being the Persians, did act against Israel, there was judgment coming their way. But the throne I'm going to have to investigate. And if you're around tomorrow, Gail, I'll do my best to give you that answer. Yeah, and, and as we look at this, he, it says that he's going to punish Elam, and then he will establish his throne there. And I and, and again, that would appear to be very possibly during the millennial reign. It has not yet happened, so it has to be in the future. And so I would say that that is what it's probably addressing. But like I say, I'll be excited to listen tomorrow as well, Jeff. So we'll find out. Gail, I hope that helps. Yes, it does. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, And uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned for more. Let's go to Rick, Charleston, South Carolina. Hi, welcome. Hello, this is Rick. Hey, Pastor, yeah, Rick. Thanks, for, thanks for having me on. You know, I always wondered, do you guys ever get stumped? And today, you showed me that even you guys do. <laughs> well, yeah. there's a lot to know um, in the Bible, and oh, a lot. Man. Of the, and when you read the scripture, the Hebrews always read it with three uh, thoughts in mind. Uh, obviously, what does it say? 
What Number two, what is the spiritual application of what we're reading? And number three, what is the prophetic application? And so I believe that a lot of times when we look at this, we have to kind of um, deduce— and sometimes these words were written for the for the future. In fact, uh, Daniel said, "The things that that you've shown me, God, exceedingly trouble my head." And uh, and God says, "Seal up the words in this book. They're not for you, but they're for who will understand them." And it's true. All the things that are written about the last days that would have seemed impossible in the time of Daniel now are coming true before our very eyes. And even today, even with the replacement theology people that that uh, can't believe that, because most of that doctrine came about before Israel became a nation. Well, now that Israel is a nation again, and Jerusalem is its capital, everything Jesus said about the last days concerning Israel and Jerusalem are real. And to say Amen. that God has no more to do with Israel than he does with any other nation of the world is ridiculous. God doesn't forget his own. He made promises to Abraham, and though they forgot him, he did not forget them. I think that's so important. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, Rick, you've got a question about um, tongues? Sure. So uh, I know you guys have answered questions about speaking in tongues, and my wife and I have a disagreement on it. Um, um, My grandmother and my brother in Christ uh, they both spoke in tongues or speak in tongues. She spoke. They, mm-hmm. He speaks. And um, mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, the apostles spoke in tongues so they could speak to all the different uh, lands and different people yeah. they were talking to. And my wife says there's really no real reason for anybody to speak in tongues in this date, and that that gift is really kind of out of date. And I wondered what you thought about that. Jeff, your thoughts? Well, that's uh, where cessationists are, what we call cessationists, who believe the gifts ceased, uh, particularly gifts like tongues and the power gifts like healings and miracles and whatnot. They believe they ceased. And uh, so we call that position cessationism. And uh, so saying that tongues are not valid for today would kind of go in that camp of thought. Uh, I would suggest that there's two kinds of tongues. And that would be the the tongues that we see manifested at Pentecost, which were the tongues of men. They were earthly dialects. We're told that everybody gathered there, all kinds of different nationalities and languages were gathered there in Jerusalem for uh, the day of Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles and everybody in that upper room, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, they began to speak with tongues. Well, that's glosso in the Greek language. And when you say glossolalia, it's you're, you're speaking in a tongue, to speak out in a tongue. And so they spoke in earthly dialects. And all the people there said, wow, we're hearing uh, the wonderful works of God declared in our own language. How did these men know this? Well, they didn't learn it. It was supernatural. It was God showing the world that the gospel was going to be international in its scope. It was going to cover every language, every race, color, creed, every spectrum of humanity. The gospel was for everybody. So everybody heard it being declared in their own language. All right, that's one kind of tongue. But you come down to 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, 
and Paul is dealing with local church issues. Paul starts talking about tongues within the context of the local church. And he says things like, if somebody speaks in a tongue, let there be an interpreter uh, so that everybody can understand. We'll stop right there. Why is, is there a need for an interpreter if it's an earthly dialect? If it's an earthly dialect, why an interpreter? And so why would the Spirit of God move on somebody in a local congregational setting to speak uh, in a language of men uh, when nobody is there that can understand it and you've got to have an interpreter? That would seem to me the Holy Spirit's confused. Why would he move on somebody to speak in an earthly dialect that nobody there understands and you need an interpreter? unless it's another kind of tongue. And so that's where I would say there is also a prayer language. Now, let me just give you a verse for this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. And here it is. He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men. All right, full stop. But wait a minute. The, the dialect spoken at the day of Pentecost was earthly dialects spoken straight to men. So what is he talking about here? A tongue that is not uh, spoken to men, but to God. What? Why do I need to speak to God in, let's say I speak English, why would I need to speak to God in Spanish or French or German or whatever? Why would I need to do that? No, he can't be talking about an earthly dialect. He can't be, because it wouldn't make a uh, sense at all. It wouldn't make grammatical sense. And if you read 1 Corinthians 14 carefully, there's many verses where you go, this doesn't make grammatical sense if he's talking about earthly dialects. He has to be talking about something else. So I will contend that there are two kinds. There are the earthly dialects and there are uh, tongues that are to God. That's what he says. He doesn't he speaks not unto men, but unto God. Now listen to this, for no man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit, he's speaking mysteries. Well, that has nothing to do at all with an earthly dialect. That has to do with speaking in a language only God understands. It is the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Now, I would just challenge you, if, you know, I'm sure there are folks out there or who are in the cessationist camp and saying, no, Jeff, you've got it all wrong. Well, then I would just ask you, explain this to me then. Because it can't mean, the whole chapter of verse, chapter 14 is loaded with verses. It can't be talking about earthly dialects like what happened at Pentecost. And, and why is Paul even having to deal with it in local churches uh, that are all born again and uh, so why would he have to deal with the tongues issue if it's if the tongues that happened at Pentecost was to speak to people that needed to be saved? So lots of reasons there, but and I know I've gone a while, Rick, but I, I'm just throwing out some verses there to kind of support the the uh, notion and the belief that there are there's another kind of tongues that are not earthly dialects. And verse two, among other verses, says so. Yeah, the Back Bible talks about diversities of tongues. It means different kinds. And so I would probably follow in. However, when we really read Acts chapter 2, 
these men are not drunk with wine were in excess, uh, but they're filled with the Spirit. They were worshiping and glorifying God. They it, it just happened to be that those that were there could understand them, but they were not talking to those people that were there. They were worshiping and glorifying God. Paul uh, Peter makes it very clear what they were doing. Now, again, one of the greatest things that will help you, if you go to like blueletterbible.org, and every time you find in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the word interpret or interpretation, look that word up in the Greek. They are not the same. The word where it says, let two or three at the most speak in a church in tongues and let one interpret. The word interpret there means to explain fully what they're doing, like Peter did in Acts chapter 2. They're not drunk with wine. He explains what they're doing, not what they're saying. It says that if a person prays in an unknown tongue, let him pray that he may interpret. Now, that word means to translate to another language. But a lot of people just read that word, interpret or interpretation, all is the same word. It's very clear in the Greek. In fact, it even says in the Strong's Concordance, does not mean to translate to another language. So it's really interesting to me that the idea is for the edification uh, of the—it's for non-believers, is what the purpose of it is for. And though you may have a whole congregation that doesn't understand what somebody is praying in tongues, it just takes one person in that group that does, that that would be that which would speak to his heart. So we have to look at some of these verses where it says no one understands him. No one understands him, maybe in the group, but in in a general sense, but there might be somebody there in a personal sense. I don't want to say it either way. I'm just giving some ideas here. So based upon where the Bible talks about there are diversities of tongues, I believe that it could be speaking of different languages, such as we find in Acts chapter 2, or it could be speaking of different types, like your private prayer language to God and a, and, and maybe a, a, a prayer language that you would pray in a congregation where somebody from a foreign country. you got to remember, back in those days, people were very, very much bilingual. Not so much in America, however, we're becoming that. But the thing is, is that, is that we're used to pretty much everybody just speaking English. However, when you get into other cultures around the world, you'll find many people have very much different, um, languages, whether, whether you're in Hawaii and, and listen to Hawaiian or whether you're in the Philippines and hearing, and hearing part English, uh, part Filipino, you, you, you'll hear pigeon being spoken, all kinds of, of, of these different kinds of dialects and, and things. But I really believe that if you go to a strong concordance and look up the word interpret or interpretation, that will help anyone really understand more fully what that is. With that, we're out of time, everybody. Rick, stay in line. We'll send you out some books, DVDs. Ray, the rest, please call us back. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. Jeff, thanks for being on. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. God bless you all, and look forward to being back with you. Good night. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. 
That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 